Everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I am sitting here with return guest Emily Gordon. Hello and welcome hi. back. How are you? I'm good, and you're doing well as well. I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. I gather. Yeah. Although we haven't gotten into it really. We have not. Maybe I'm not. Who knows? I know. <laughs> well, you you're you're faking it well. Thank you. I tend to. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you wrote a book called Super You. I did indeed. Which I have in front of me. Uh, release your inner superhero yes and i love this book i related so strongly to so much of your personal story oh thank you um just the weight stuff and the identity stuff and and being super sensitive but trying to project an image that you're not sensitive so tough yeah so much of it and it made me wonder, have you been hearing that a lot from people? Like, have a lot of people related Since, yeah. really strongly? And I think, I, yeah, it's so funny. You kind of start writing this because you're like, I'm a unique snowflake and I'm going to write about my <laughs> unique snowflake existence. And then it's been really heartening in a lot of ways to hear like, oh, no, you're not that that unique of a snowflake. Everybody has had, um, especially like the imposter thing, which is the thing I talk about in the book of feeling like uh, at some point, at any point, someone's going to come up and be like, hey, they're on to you. And you'd be like, oh, I got to get out of here. I have that so intensely. Yeah. And yeah. you point out in the book that it affects women more, right? And I've I seen articles so. about that. I, and, I, and, and again, it's anecdotal, uh, it's anecdotal research just from kind of chatting with my guy friends and my girlfriends. But I, and I do have plenty of guy friends that feel this way. But for the most part, I feel like a lot of men I know and some women kind of approach the world as like, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Whereas I approach the world as like, tell me I'm right. Am right. I doing this okay? Is everything all right? And it's just kind of, um, and again, I'm not going to say everyone because obviously it's not everyone and I don't want anyone to characterize it that way. But um, I find it's way more females than males that have that issue. I do you say. have a theory about why? I do think in, I think some... In some ways, I do think men are brought up more that they are the king of the universe um, and women are brought up to kind of serve the king of the universe. I certainly was and not in a bad way. I'm not even saying that's a terrible thing, but um, I was brought up to like not to obey a husband, but that like getting a husband and being in that marriage is the most important thing, whereas men are not raised that way, not where I'm from, uh, at least. So I think that kind of contributes to it. Yeah. Again, I don't know if that's a bad thing necessarily, but... Um, I think we maybe need to be teaching to differentiate between professional and personal lives in that sense, because I think for so long, women didn't have professional lives that all we catered to was our personal lives. Mm -hmm. And so now that they're getting professionalized and have been for decades now, maybe we need to start giving like two different narratives for that. Like, you know, in your home, it's good to have a, a good relationship. But also when you're working, you kind of need to be boss bitch, like, right, and, and have that duality, just teach the duality, right? Isn't that the thing they say for evolution? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's yeah. That's what I was thinking is maybe the reason too. Even though part of me resists that that's the reason, but just the idea that women haven't been in the career force for nearly as long, so there's this sense that they're going to find out that you don't actually belong there. Yeah. Except that for for my whole lifetime. Well, no, but I feel like it's it's somehow in our it's in our DNA. There's like a cultural narrative, and and uh, yeah, there's DNA stuff that, and just because it's in your DNA doesn't mean it's right, and does also doesn't mean it's wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I feel like even like fairy tales were told, like all that stuff kind of contributes yeah. to it. Uh, I'm not saying anything crazy new. Also, but yeah. I think I don't know if this is how it was for you, but 
I think I was kind of brought up with like, don't come, not that this was ever said explicitly, but don't compete with men in a head to head way. Like if you're oh, trying to, to get a, like to, you know, beat a man, essentially there's like better, more circuitous, like female. And like your wiles ways. using your yes. feminine wiles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like manipulate instead of, of confront head on, which is something that I can't, like I'm, ill-equipped to do that I don't know how to do that so I think that then I I'm just sort of like okay I just I don't want to become a target I don't want someone to feel aggression towards me so I'm just going to sort of slink around but then when you're in a situation where you might feel imposter syndrome the suggestion being that you have achieved a certain level of something in your career yeah um that does mean that you are competing head to head yeah and I think that's a fine thing yeah but I think it maybe always made me uncomfortable yeah and i that's the thing is that whereas we're the ones that are sitting back and thinking like well how, how is this going to look how is this going to be like i i think some people are not taught to even think about what other people are thinking or and i think that's a strength that it, traditionally women are taught to like be considerate of others feelings and kind of oh is this going to bug him if he's yes. like uh whereas men are not taught that as much um and that's not a bad thing i think there's a way to use that as a strength and being considerate of others feelings i think has made me a really great boss in a lot of ways um and not a and and i kind of i'm looking for now ways to use those characteristics I already have is like let's just treat him as a strength instead of being like well this is why i'm not getting ahead mm-hmm. um so that is what i've been trying to do <laughs> work sometimes. So let's talk about um, why you decided to write the book and what your process was like. Um, I uh, have always wanted to write a book since I was very, very little, um, very young child. And uh, this kind of slowly, I was a therapist for about six and a half years, um, practicing therapist for about six and a half years. And then once I stopped seeing clients, I was still writing stuff like mental health stuff for a website. And and I love, sorry to cut you off, but I just loved the aside in the book that for years at parties you would introduce yourself as I'm a therapist but I'm not seeing clients anymore I I related to that so strongly that like it's so difficult to explain I mean as a podcast sure you know yeah it's like it's I just when I just write writer okay that's what I write and then they say what do you write and then I go into my preamble of like well I used to work for magazines but then I slid over into broadcast (laughs) and now I'm doing this and it's like you can't really say much. talker. What is that talker? No. That's not a profession, Mm-mm. but maybe it is. Uh, yeah. So I, I didn't, and I do think of now, I kind of think of being a therapist part as part of who I am and not so much just a job I had because I can't take that stuff out of my brain and I wouldn't want to. Um, and so I'd wanted to write something that I'd started out wanting to write a memoir actually. And, uh, and then slowly was like, you know, I don't know. Memoirs are interesting because honestly, who cares about, you know, like for the most part, who cares? And I was like, well, can I write something that's like part memoir, but also part of my other career, which is being a therapist. It's like kind of a self-help guide, but the kind of self-help guide that I would not have hated reading uh, when I was a teenager. So I hated a lot of things back then. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's kind of where the book came from was like, I'm going to do a little bit of this, like, maybe you can relate to this and and, uh, a little bit of like, well, here's some stuff that helped me kind of later on in my life. So I was kind of writing it to my teenage self in some ways. so that's where the idea for the book came about. And it went through many kind of different framing devices and different kinds of things before it got to this. Um, like what? What were some of them? I, I at one point wanted to write <laughs> like a video game strategy guide, like those old school 1980s, like mm-hmm. super thick, like <laughs> strategy guides of like, look in this room and go to the left and then go to the right because we didn't have the internet back then. So you just had a book. 
And I thought, what a funny thing to write a strategy guide for your life, like a like a adorable kind of video game themed. And everybody was like, I don't, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think anyone's uh, gonna do that. I don't think it's gonna. I still kind of love it, just because I like it. When I look at uh, strategy guides, I like get this little feeling inside, like, oh, I'm just gonna read this whole thing, and then I'll know how to play the game. <laughs> and what a great feeling that would be to have for life. But um, it's not as applicable to as many people, and so we kind of ended up going with the superhero vibe because. Um, I'm also very obsessed with origin stories and origin stories are a big part of superheroes and a big part of of me kind of reclaiming my past and kind of uh, starting to understand that the way that we talk about ourselves and the way we talk about our past matters, like it means something. And uh, to stop, kind of start taking ownership of that story uh, the way that superheroes do. So that's kind of how the concept ended up evolving. Um, And then it was just me in a room for two hours a day for a few months uh, writing every single day. Was that enjoyable? It was some days were great and then some days were terrible and some days were like pulling teeth and some days it was like, oh, the magic is flowing through me. And what I had to be careful not to do is go back and reread uh, all the time because then I would have never gotten past the intro. I would still be tinkering with the intro. So uh, that is a tip I have for writers out there. (laughs) Just keep going. Like keep going as much as you can. Don't go back and reread. Don't go back and like kind of... um, the other tip I have is also to start, I kind of wrote some of the conclusion at the beginning. So I was like, everything I should be doing should be pointing towards this conclusion and coming from this intro. So I want to make sure that I'm always getting like the big picture of like, this is what the book is about and not going off on a tangents. Um, and those things helped a bit, but some days it's just, it was hard. <laughs> How frequently did you allow yourself to go back and reread or did you not at all? I tried not to at all. Uh, and then maybe once a month I would go back and like reread something to make sure it still agreed with what I was writing. But I tried to never, I literally, I would not have gotten off the intro if I'd just been rereading the whole time. So I tried not to do it. I, as, I tried to do it as little as possible. Did you have imposter syndrome while you were writing the book? 100%. I was having like nightmares that somehow I'd go to jail. Like I was, it was just like... <laughs> For what? I don't even know. I just was like, God, brain, could you be a little less on the nose? What's wrong with you? Um, yeah, I think it, the one thing that I do have and, and what I clung to maybe to the exclusion of all else when I was a therapist was I have a piece of paper that says that I, I'm able to do this. And that's a thing that an education gives you uh, that maybe you get other places, but an education gives you that weird, tangible, this is the thing I've been trained right. to do. I got licensure. This piece of paper that is my license tells me, tells you guys that I'm able to do this. And uh, so I kept thinking like, this is the thing I was trained to do essentially. So it's, I, I didn't feel, that's the one thing I don't feel as much of as an imposter of. Sometimes with writing I do, with comedy producing I do, with a lot of other things. But therapy, I kind of, I do have a piece of paper. And you write, <laughs> and this is a compliment, um, and it's interesting that I feel the need to issue that disclaimer. I'm going to explore that in a second. You write in a very authoritative manner. Oh. It's also very relatable. Thank like you. When you're talking about the therapist stuff, when I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, this is this is like uh, someone who could speak very – could easily speak clinically if she wanted to. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I did try to do um, – yeah, I, I, tried to, I tried to do both. Yeah. Uh, I tried to kind of put my big boy therapist pants on and then, uh, you know, take them down a little bit. <laughs> Just take them down a tiny little bit. the reader just a little bit. (laughs) So for the reader, the listener, who's like, this sounds interesting, but I want more of a sense of what the book is. Can we sort of break down, because there's all sorts of self-help books, Mm -hmm. but this is a self-help book which uses the superhero Mm -hmm. iconography as sort of a way to help you become the you that 
you want to be or that you should be or how would you explain uh, sh- it? Should we always be careful of the word should? <laughs> always. Uh, the way the you you want to be. The, the you, you that you have the potential to be. Yeah. Like I always, and that's the way I always try to think of things like what's the version, what's the best version of you doing now that this current version isn't doing? And I like asking people that question. I think it's always a, a fun question to ask. And then if you have a sense of what that person's doing, you don't know why they're doing it. You don't know what's behind it, what their thoughts are. How can we start planning out getting you to that place? Uh, if the And it can't just be, it, she's happier. Okay, well, what does happiness look like? What is she doing that makes you know that that person's happy? Um, so it's a very concrete, just like, what's where are you now? Let's explore that for a little bit. Where do you want to be? And then how, how can you move in that direction? What actual kind of concrete things can you do? Um, it's the kind of basic of the book. And the superhero stuff is like fun, um, but it's not you don't have to be like a nerd or like be mm-hmm. super into superheroes to like get something out of it. But it, it's like a fun little I found out all sorts of fun stuff about superheroes while while writing this book. So I put some of that in there as well. I loved the factoid about Wonder Woman. Yeah. That she was based in part on the guy's wife and the woman that the two of them had a relationship with. The lover. The lover of the. Yeah. He also the uh, uh, Wonder Woman uh, creator. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, also created an early version of the lie detector test, which is so interesting given that she uh, you can't lie to her, I believe. Yeah, the lasso of truth. Yeah, lasso. Of I truth. was gonna, fl- I was gonna flip through and see if I could find it, but I think yeah, the two I of them had a can't. lover. The he and his wife had a lover that uh, he kind of based the appearance of Wonder Woman on her. Just a badass human being, really. William Moulton Marston. Thank That's you it. very much. I remembered Moulton, but nothing else. <laughs> and I remembered William. There we go. Oh, we could have done, done it. Together. I know. <laughs> Yay! And I have the internet to look it up. Between yeah. the three of us, we figured it <laughs> we out. We figured it out. <laughs> Perfect. Did you learn things about yourself as you were writing the book? I think so. I think um, in, in that same way that like you don't really know. And that's... Uh, you don't really know about things about yourself sometimes until you're explaining them to someone else, which is why therapy is so great in general. Because if they're clanging around in your head... Uh, they're, it's not somehow it's not as concrete as when you have to explain it to someone mm-hmm. else in words. So me having to kind of talk about myself um, and talk about how I've helped myself helped me kind of understand a lot of things about myself a bit more. It's also true that you do invent narratives after the fact that that whether or not they conveniently fit or whether or not they're true, like they become true once you create a narrative for them. And so I got to kind of create narratives for myself and for my past that I hadn't even really thought of or considered that now to me are gospel. Like that's it. That's how things were. That's exactly, I'm not talking about facts, but I'm talking about how I took things in and then moved on from them. Uh, Stuff that had not really uh, solidified in my head now is, which is great. Mm. Everybody should write a book about themselves. <laughs> Everybody should. So something that I really liked um, was the personal bill of rights, which I know that you did not write. I did not write. Yeah. I loved it so much that I was like, I'm going to have to include this. Yeah. Um, and the one that the res- that resonated the s- most strongly with me because I don't even know that I, it's like, oh, here's like a humongous stumbling block for me is number three, I have the right to express all of my feelings, positive or negative. <sighs> I don't, so great. <laughs> like, that's news to me that you even have that right. And I'm still taking it all in. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. You do. You absolutely do. That um, is from a book that written by, I'm going to say Edmund J. Bourne. I, it should be right there on the thing. Um I think I got it right with permission from him. It's a book yes, called Edmund the J. Bourne. Anxiety and, and what is phobia it? Phobia Workbook. Anxiety and Phobia Workbook, which is a book no one would pick up and they're kind of casual, but I picked <laughs> it up as a grad student um, looking to help some of the clients I was working with as a grad student. And that table 
like it hit me like a ton of bricks and I could not, it just took me days. I I was like reading it and I was like, I got to stop and come back to this later. It was too much for me. All these truths, too much truth Mm -hmm. in here. Um, Truth that I didn't realize uh, that I had rights that I didn't realize I had. So I literally did. And I say this in the book, but I I tore it out and clipped it and carried around with me just to remind myself. Um, Yeah, it was quite intense for me too. And the one that resonated the most with you, you said was number 19. I have the right to, the, at the time, resonated. Mm-hmm. I have the right to be healthier than those around me. Yeah. Who were you, who were you hanging out with? <laughs> I did. I certainly had, um, I certainly had friends that were maybe from rougher situations than I was. And I befriended them because we were friends. We had lots in common. We loved to hang out. And I, um, sometimes friends who were in emotionally kind of difficult places. And I think, I think part of me felt like it, it wasn't fair to them for me to be happy or fair, fair to them mm-hmm. for me to be healthy. Um, and it's not that you're supposed to rub your face, your happy face into the faces of those around you that are not happy, but you do have a right to be to be well adjusted. You have a right to be happy, even if it's cool to not be well adjusted, even if the people around you are not. Um, and sometimes you're, and it's not your job, but sometimes you end up being kind of the, a, a little bit of a beacon of hope for other people of like, oh, look, she's doing this and she's fine and she's not a weirdo. Um, and I just didn't realize that was true. So I think sometimes I would maybe even, I'm not going to say fake, but I'm going to, I was maybe would kind of hide that I was doing well, or I would kind of create drama or issues within myself, A, because it made me seem more interesting and B, because it helped me fit in with the people mm-hmm. I was with. Um, and that's something I didn't realize until years later, years later. Yeah. Have you ever had this situation, and this is sort of a a young person situation, Mm. where you are trying to find a way to bond with someone, and so you are bonding over the things that are wrong in your life, and then they really kind of dig in and give you advice, and you're like, "No, I'm actually, I just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to talk to you." Isn't that interesting? I actually a couple of years ago decided I wasn't going to bond, especially with other women, by being like, "Oh, guys are the worst, right? My husband sucks," because. (laughs) <laughs> it's not the case. My husband's great. And I'm right. not like going around being like, uh, but there's got to be more for us to talk about than yes. just like complaining about relationships or complaining about whatever. Um, there's got to be more. So I kind of made it like a rule for myself that I wasn't going to like amp up any issues in my life to make me more relatable to other people. And it's not that I don't have problems. I just decided that wasn't going to be my currency when I was right. like making friends with people. And uh it's been it some for some people it hasn't stuck as well. Some people it's been weird. And for the most part I've I've attracted a lot of awesome people into my life that I um really love. And then we, we get to complain sometimes too. Um I just decided that wasn't going to be my intro. That kind of wasn't yeah. going to be my road, road in. Right. Yeah. I think that's good. I, to me that's very of a particular time in life Absolutely. when you're still trying to figure out so much. Yeah. You know, I think that I had so many when I I hope this is not really what all my college friendships were, but when I think back on it, I feel like it was just us sitting at the campus coffee shop, smoking cigarettes, and interpreting conversations with guys. <laughs> right? <laughs> Overanalyzing. Interpreting is the wrong word. Yeah. Overanalyzing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. And it was really fun at the time, too, though. It's a hobby. Ladies, especially young ladies, don't get to have hobbies as much. Right. <laughs> Our hobbies are dudes <laughs> a lot of the time. And dudes get to have hobbies, which is why they're not obsessing over what we're doing as much. Uh, yeah, that was certainly true for me, too. Yeah, guys were like my hobby and like mm-hmm. kind of talking about them. And then I got it really into like obscure bands and obscure like comedy troops and stuff. And then I was like, well, that's something else we can obsess over. Uh, which helped me tremendously. 
Uh, but yeah, it's, it is a certain time in life, but I would say even now I have, I'm married, but I have friends who are single and I have friends who are dating and friends who are hate relationships and friends are married. And so it's interesting to kind of travel among all those worlds. Whereas my married friends are like, yeah, stuff's good. Everything's good. Yeah. Like, and it's like not a, there's no fun story to it. (laughs) Right, right, right. Just selfishly, let's go back to number three. I have the right to express all of my feelings, (laughs) positive or negative. Did, did you always know that you had that right? I think I overused that right maybe a little bit. I I got uh, I was really into kind of throwing temper tantrums as like a teenager for attention because I didn't I didn't believe that I warranted attention if, unless that was like something was DefCon whatever the bad one is. <laughs> I always I think get it wrong. Five. It, it could be nine. But is it one? Let's see, I oh. don't know. Does it go up or down? DefCon. Jeff, are you uh, fluent in con? Yes, I think. DEFCON 1 is the worst. DEFCON 1's bad, right? Yeah. So, thank you. This comes up more times than you would think (laughs) in my life where I have to think about which one. So DEFCON 1, I would constantly, not constantly, but I would often uh, kind of work myself into a DEFCON 1 over something that was really a DEFCON 4 or 5 just because I was like, here's how I can get attention from other people. Um, So I believed I had the right to express all those negative emotions. Mm -hmm. Positive emotions, not so much because I was also a goth kid and we're not supposed to be happy. So So, yeah, I I realized that. I wanted to, I felt the only way I could take up space was to over, um, over exaggerate what was going on with me. And so you, it feels like we're the opposite. You were very stoic. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because you have the chapter in there where you talk about emotional hulks, Mm -hmm. um, which, how would you explain that? Like people who are kind of consumed and drowning in their emotions yes yeah and then there's the intellectual visions Mm -hmm. who are much more stoic stoic and kind of intellectualize all their feelings and kind of lock them away and don't feel them i think that i am the latter who thinks of myself as the former also you think when you have emotions you think they're crazy and insane but they're probably not yes i I don't know i don't know which i am because i am very sensitive Mm -hmm. but I have a lot of trouble not intellectualizing my feelings before I'm even aware of yeah. them. I mean, I'm oh, I, I'm in a constant conversation with myself about why I should or shouldn't feel this or, you know, I it, it's it's never just like I feel hurt or I feel angry. It's like this person did this, but I understand why they did. I'm always explaining it to myself why <laughs> whatever I'm feeling is not the appropriate feeling for the wow. situation. I mean, it's been a real thing that I've had to sort of unlearn. Interesting. And yet I don't think of myself as someone who can't feel emotion. I mean, sure. I cry very easily. Things, the things that have, you know, the, the things that have been very upsetting in my life, I'm definitely affected by. Mm-hmm. So I don't know which I am. That's interesting. And I think you can go back and forth. I certainly have gone back and forth. Uh, and and maybe you're a fun combo of both. Be. <laughs> do you, are you able to like, can you cry in front of other people? Or is that something you usually do on your own? We're getting real I, into it now. <laughs> I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably usually do it on my own. Yeah. I guess to me that showing crying in front of the people is such a, a that's the most vulnerable you can be forget sex forget any of the other stuff that is to me so I I'm very choosy about who I choose to cry in front of and I cannot cry in front of you if I can't don't need to cry in front of you like it's I, I'm, I'm pretty good at kind of clamping that down and I also have that conversation with myself while I'm feeling the emotion of like well you're probably feeling this way because this happened and then this happened and yeah I, it's like yeah. it's like inside we're like no emotion no emotion yeah. like so afraid of emotion that I'm instantly trying to like it's you know tamp it down yeah but it doesn't work no it, and it, it comes out anyway that's the thing that took me a while to realize like it's either coming out 
now, however you want to express it, mm-hmm. whatever, or it's going to come out later when you're talking to someone else, or it's going to come out and you grinding your teeth at night, or it's going to, it's going to come out. Emotions come out. They don't stay in. Right. They always come out. You have a choice in how they come out. And that's the only choice you really do have. Um, and so when I kind of, that kind of, I locked into that, I was like, well, I would rather give them some space to kind of move around than like have to get a night guard for my teeth or whatever. <laughs> that happens to a lot of people. Um, so I, I do, and I talk about it in the book, the wallow, I absolutely do that. Like I, if I'm kind of feeling something overwhelmingly, I give myself, I like set a timer on my phone and give myself time, like just feel this emotion, just do it. And uh, however that feels, however that's going to express itself, just let it happen. Mm-hmm. And then kind of now what can I do? I don't allow myself to start questioning or talking to myself or anything. I just feel it. And if I feel stupid, that's fine. That's part of it too. But not judging, not like just acknowledging, not judging. And then once that time period is up, then moving on to like, okay, well, why are we feeling? Why is this affecting us like this? Why is this happening? Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's It's hard. I should try that more. I'm still stuck on this though, because I I think that people would describe me as an emotional per they wouldn't describe me as a non-emotional person yeah yeah um but if let's say i'm angry about something i will talk to people a lot about it but it will be in a calm way where (laughs) i'm just sort of enumerating the reasons why i'm angry does that help your anger go down to stay calm yeah it's to just, like well, to talk to other people about all the things like to very yes because i yeah because i need yeah. i need feedback and i'm like looking for like what do you think about this yeah and, but i mean a thing for me in therapy has been um you know like i'll i'll have the kind of therapist who's like pretend this pillow is so and so now express what you, you know what do you want to say mm-hmm. and instead of being able to be like listen so i i'm always like um i guess i would probably want to say <laughs> Before I can give myself over to it, you know, or like any sort of bringing the emotion out, things like that is not comfortable for me. I think that's okay, though, especially if you're talking to a pillow, because you always have the awareness, (laughs) oh, I'm talking to I'm a grown ass woman talking to a pillow right right. now. So I think it's okay to have that like transitional period. Um, I think that's totally, totally fine. It doesn't seem to be like you've got, I think as long as you're not feeling guilty about the emotions that you're feeling, the guilt... And the judging yourself for it to me is the part that's right. got to go. The rest of it, I th- I think is pretty. I think it's pretty normal. Okay, yeah. perfect. We are done here. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on my podcast so that I could get to the heart of me. <laughs> um, so something I wanted to ask you talk a lot, um, about or maybe not you talk a lot, but you mentioned that when you were young you would have these crying jags mm-hmm. and, and and there was a lot of of pain and alienation, which again is stuff that I totally relate to. Um, And I'm wondering if you have a sense of why you felt that so young. You talk about feeling different because you were physically much bigger and you became overweight. Yeah. But there, I I imagine there was, it it wasn't just that, right? You would think it wasn't. But honestly, when I, when I kind of think back to, I always felt like a weird kind of overthinky kid. Um, and again, I thought that made me different, but I, it turns out a lot of people have felt that way when they were growing up. So I don't even know if that kind of set me apart. But the one thing I know that did set me apart was that I was much, much taller than all the kids in my class. Mm-hmm. And it was a, um, it was a, I felt betrayed by my own body. And I think that was a part. Being a bigger kid is one thing, but then the, to do the thing where you like weirdly blame and get angry with yourself about it, I think is where I kind of 
the wrong turn that I maybe took. Um, I looked for a culprit and the culprit was me. And then I was furious and disappointed and betrayed by myself. And then that's a gross feeling to feel when you're like seven years old and can't even really process. Yeah, like, I don't even know how, yeah, how you could Yeah, and it's not a story that. that's any different. Like I was taller than other kids. Who gives Were a shit? Were you taller than the boys and the girls? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> how, how, how tall are you? Uh, I'm 5'10 now. And I was, I was, when you look at, pictures like I just who knows how tall I was but I was I was towering over the other kids a friend of mine sent me a photo of the two of us standing on a stage together and I literally thought I was standing in front of her but we weren't we were standing side by side <laughs> I just I just was a much I just had an early growth spurt that's mm-hmm. it that's all it took and then it was a combination of that and me kind of turning it on myself that um just kind of blew up the whole thing for me and and I had a sister I obviously still have a sister who was always kind of this gorgeous perfect kind of creature and didn't older older, and wasn't uh, overly tall but also kind of ended up being tall but like managed to kind of navigate things and and it wasn't weird for her and and uh and it just kind of blew my mind and it didn't stop blowing my mind for a very long time way longer than necessary some would say i would have found anything to focus on and it just so happened that it was the tall thing do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean right like maybe i was always destined to be that kid that was going to overthink myself into a hole in the ground for years but that's what i that's what i chose uh was the size thing and um yeah, and other kids would talk to me about it. I would be teased about it. And then once I started actually putting on weight and kind of becoming a chubby kid, then it was like, then I was teased for that. And then it just kind of kept going. Mm-hmm. And I switched schools a fairly, I switched school, I went to a different middle school than everyone in my elementary school. And then I went to a different high school than everyone in my middle school. So I was a new kid a couple of times and had to like navigate that whole thing every time. And it's, it just makes you a mess. Just like anybody else in America. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you mentioned that you still have body issues? A little bit. I fight them. I'm much better with them now. And I take much better care of myself now. And I, I think of my body differently. I used to think of it as a thing that either looked good or looked bad, period. Nothing else was important. And now I see it as like a machine that kind of keeps me going and kind of can uh, moves me around. And like, I see it as a machine rather than seeing it as like, it looks good, looks bad. Um it's a useful thing to me now. And I think that was that was a big switch for me is, is taking away the whether or not it's attractive and just focusing on its functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, I started weightlifting a bit and that's been really cool because uh, I'm like, suddenly I'm like, oh, I can see that thing over there. I can pick it up. <laughs> that's something I never thought my body could do. And it's been impressive to watch it do kind of a physical feat. And in most of our jobs, we don't have to do super physical labor. Some people obviously do, but a lot of our jobs, we don't. We just sit around all day. And so you forget that you're body is a thing that can do tricks you know right until you're watching like america's got talent you're like jesus look at these people (laughs) look at these acrobats how do they um so i kind of wanted to experience that a little bit just to kind of get a different relationship with my body i also i'm gonna start every sentence with i related so strongly to (laughs) but um when you were talking about being overweight Mm -hmm. uh, and it becoming sort of a secret you wanted to keep it a secret. So weird. Like as if you didn't want people to know that you knew. Yeah. Um, it, I relate so strongly to that part as well. I was overweight uh, always as a kid and then it went up and down. And like I finally lost most of the weight I would say in my – when I turned 30. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit before that. Yeah. 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 But but through, so, through so pretty heavy in my 20s. Um, and – I have these memories when I was a kid of like, I remember this girl said to me, um, she's like, it was, we were in eighth grade. She's like, Allison, 
you are attractive. I mean, yes, you're overweight, but you're an attractive person. And I was, I wanted to die. Yes. Isn't it crazy how those things will stay with you? Yes. Like, I don't remember any of my teachers. I don't remember anything. <laughs> I, I have like four or five memories that are almost exactly that of someone saying something to me that confirmed what I, what the tape that was playing in my head over mm -hmm. and over again. And when I hear it coming out of someone else's mouth, oh no. Yeah. Oh no, now it's super real. Like, And yet- it's interesting because it's like weight is something that is very obvious. Everyone knew I was an overweight yeah. kid. Everyone knew I was a thicker milkshake. It was not a <laughs> secret to anyone. But for some reason... You don't want... It's like you're... Well, maybe I wasn't ready to deal with it yet. So yeah. I didn't want someone else to comment on it. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm sure you know these people who are thicker milkshakes that are also very like... There's, I feel like there's a couple of different types. <laughs> We've got thicker milkshakes that are like out and proud. Yeah, I'm chubby. Who gives a shit? And I always wonder, but do you really feel that way? I wonder that too. Okay. Some of them are. And some of them are very like, you know, fat positive and are like have mm -hmm. all this body positivity. That's awesome. I, I never got to achieve that level ever. Oh, hell no. No. Uh, and then there are overweight people that uh, are uh, self-deprecating. Oh, I'm just a fat ass. Mm -hmm. It's fine. I probably won't fit into that because I'm so like that kind of stuff. That always bummed me out, I think, the most because I I I was like... To, in my head, I was like, you're not supposed to, everybody's already kicking us. Why are you kicking yeah. us? Like, why, why are you adding to this chorus? And maybe it was them doing it as a way of like not having anyone, like I'm going to do it first so you can't do it. Yeah. I think it's like this sort of like uncom or um, like knee jerk, like, look, I'm letting you know that I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To sort of stave it off. Whereas it sounds like you and I were of the camp of like, just don't talk right. about it. <laughs> Let's just, just move on, move on. Next this, topic. Don't, it's the fifties and someone in our family is gay and no one's discussing it. That <laughs> yes. kind of like, we all know what's happening, but no one's discussing it. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely the camp that I fell into. And that anger and defiance of... I look, I, I'm going to lose this. I know I'm going to lose it and I want to lose it, but it's, but not because you want me to. And the fact that I feel like society wants me to makes me want to hang on to it more because fuck all of you. Fuck you for insisting that I look this way. Yes. Yeah. That's why I didn't work out for so long because I was like, if anyone sees me working out, they'll be like, well, good for her. <laughs> and I would be like, no, fuck you. I'm going to do this, but you don't get to tell me that I need to do this. Yes. I tell me that I need to right. do this. Uh, I had a real problem with that. And by the way, terrible attitude to have because exercise is good for every single body, no matter what your size is. No one dictates that that's not good for you. It's all, it's good for you at all points in time. But I, I got it too, ugh, I just twisted mm -hmm. it all around and made it into a weird thing. Yes, where I just me too. did not move for years and years and years. But now would you, because the one thing I did do was, this sentence is not going to work. I'm going to say it anyway. Love it. Um, I was very self-conscious to eat in public. You were? Yeah. Were you? I think so. I, I've, I, have, I have memories of not eating a whole lot in public. Um, yes. And I get very angry when people... I think it must be very hard to be overweight because that's what I remember and, and eating anything other than something healthy in public. And I... Um, yes. That, that is such a, uh, such a huge issue of like who gets to decide how you look and how healthy you are and what your health is and how you define it. Such a bummer, but I I remember definitely having times where all my friends were out, like eating pizza, and I was like, well, I'm not hungry, like, and yeah. I was totally hungry. Of course, I wanted a pizza, of course, right? But I didn't. Yeah, I whenever I'm a, if if I'm out and someone who's overweight is eating something unhealthy, and anyone near me makes a comment on it, I always have this like I hate that. Want to punch them? Yes, yeah. because my feeling is, look, 
you don't actually know what else that person ate today. Maybe that person has been dieting for a month and they're giving themselves this is their like cheat a day. cheat. Yeah. So none of and your I'm damn sure business. That, right. And then there, there will be like fat hating people who are like, oh yeah, right. But that's, but that is the case. I know that, you know, that's how I would be. I would be like, rest- I would restrict so much when I would go through these bouts of losing weight. I would restrict, 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 and then I would allow myself something. And, yeah. then, and it worked. Yeah. I mean, eventually I gained the weight back. Sure. And then, you know. Anyway, once again, still talking about me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's because in talking about you, I feel as if. We're talking about us. We're talking we're about us. That's right. That's right. Um, let's see. What else? What else do we need to talk about in this book? Um well, you talk about uh, realizing that you're actually a very organized person, yeah. but that you tried to fight it for years. Yeah, I didn't think it was cool to be organized, but I'm help- I'm I'm hopelessly, incredibly, terrifyingly organized, and very into being punctual and very into like kind of all that stuff. I used to organize my stuffed animals on my bed uh, <laughs> by name and the relationship they had to other stuffed animals. Like I, it's just been my whole life. And then I, but I was like, I'm supposed to be this like punk rock, cool kid who doesn't give a shit about stuff like that. But no, I care. I have like a school supply time, favorite time of year, better than Christmas for me. I love <laughs> any kind of labels. I love making like, I love notebooks. I love all that stuff. And uh, it's once I embraced that, it really opened up career wise, a lot of other options for me. Um, especially in the entertainment industry because a lot of people aren't organized. And mm-hmm. so if you're into it and creative and also have that skill, whew, people will hire you to do all kinds of stuff. Jeff, are you engorged <laughs> right now? He loves a label. I love a label. <gasps> I, I was upset driving over here that I forgot to bring my labels to label the microphones. Oh, <laughs> And I will confirm what Emily has to say because having just produced the podcast festival, I dealt with 43 acts and Emily, I never had to ask for anything twice. <laughs> And she she was always ahead of me. She always said, oh, I want to get this information. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I think you had apologized at a couple of points. You were like, oh, sorry. And I was like, no, I love it. Like, you want this information? I want to give it to you. Let's I, all do this. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I, I write things down in my, I have a paper day planner. I don't use iCal. And then if I write something down that day, it has to happen on that day. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care what's happening. I have to be able to cross it off and then crossing it off. Woof. Oh, it feels good. It's like a sneeze. <laughs> it's great. I love it. And I, for a long time, I'd be like, no, I don't care about any of this stuff. But I do. I absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Our stand-up show starts on time. Everyone knows if our stand-up show starts even one minute late, Emily is not happy. That stand-up show being Meltdown Show. That's right. Which called- is, a, is it still, it's still monthly, right? No, it's weekly. Oh. <laughs> for the past five years, every single week on Wednesdays, I have been uh, running a stand-up show called The Meltdown with Joan and Kamel. We're coming up on our five-year anniversary in November actually congratulations and it's a show on comedy central as well series yeah so yes what's your what's it like producing both those shows uh it's a lot of work um and i still i'm just as intense about it today as i was five years ago someone pointed that out to me last night (laughs) in fact uh i i to me when i'm there i'm i'm there i get to see my friends but i'm at work from the time I get there from the, until the time I leave, I don't uh, drink. I don't hang out. Like I chat with people on occasion, but I'm there to run a comedy show and make sure the audience is good, make sure the stand-ups are good, make sure everybody's doing what they need to do, make sure everybody knows where they need to be. Um, and so I'm very intent on, for those few hours, being at work. Mm-hmm. And um, that's true for the live show, the TV show. Um, I, 
I'm on camera for that. And my role on camera is to just be hanging out and having fun. And I had a hard time the first season kind of adjusting to that. Um, and so you would see me most often leaving the room to try to like check on things where I was supposed to be. I was actually supposed to be in the room hanging out like a fun producer. <laughs> so second season, that's the only part of our show that's fake is that I don't hang out and chat with people that much in the uh, actual live show. But on the TV show, especially the second season, I made it an effort to like, I'm going to stay in this room and hang out with people. We all put our phones away so we can't check our phones. Um, and so I got to be on the show more second season because I was I was relying on the literal team of 45 people uh, to put on the show while I kind of was there as a producer that really just was chatting, but still lighting every single comedian for the TV show. Mm-hmm. I still, it's still my job to let them know to get off stage uh, for that. So it's, it's a, it's an amazing job and I, I have great friends from it and I've seen amazing comedians. I love introducing new comedians to our audience. Um, it's a great job. It's like, ha, ha, there's no better job. It's the best. I was thinking about, about when I was reading about you saying how organized you were. And then I think the, like probably a second before you mentioned it, I was like, well, obviously that's why she's a producer. Like that makes total sense. Um, And I get very easily overwhelmed with having to coordinate a a bunch of stuff with a bunch of people. And then I start worrying about them. How do you, as someone who (laughs) battles or has battled feeling like you need to fix everything for everyone. Yeah. How does that work with being Um, a producer? I think for the most part, time for i'd say probably for the first like six months or so that we did the show i was overly worrying about everything and constantly checking on people but i like i had to realize like comedians want to do stage time they they want it you have a resource that they actually want they want to be on a stage in front of a good audience and tell jokes so you're just giving them a thing that they want so you have to count on the fact that they're going to be there because they want uh, they want it. They want so you, would you like send a lot of reminders or something? Or you were just worried they wouldn't show up? Uh, I would send a lot of reminders. I was, ta- I was tweeting at people, like adding them uh, uh, several times a day uh, from days and days ahead of the show. And I think it was Eugene Merman who pulled me aside and was like, hey, you're going to have to kind of scale back on those tweets a little bit. And I was like, <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. Sorry, sir. I'm new with this. I don't know what I'm doing. And then uh, so since then, I've learned, you know, you tweet at them and at them like twice max. Uh, and trust that they're going to be there. I do email the comics the day of and say, hey, you're it's so glad you're doing the show tonight. Here's some parking details, blah, blah, blah. That gives them, oh, shit, if they need to cancel, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to email mm-hmm. her back and cancel. And just trust that they're going to be there. Uh, last night, Dred Carmichael did the show and showed up like literally t- like two minutes before he was about to go on. But I'd been texting with him. I knew he was going to show up. I trusted that he was because especially over time, you build relationships and people are like, even if they don't feel well, they're like, well, I don't want to let you down. Like, this is a show. You've done this for me before. So you kind of, it's a combination of learning uh, that people want to be there and, and kind of dropping all the things that you are freaked out about. That being said, I'm I'm always scared. Every single week, I'm like, well, no one's going to show. None of that. It, it, part of my head. Mm-hmm. But I kind of shush that part because five years has shown me people will show up. Right. Comics and audience. Does Kumail worry about this stuff? No, not really. I think part of him does. He worries about different things, but... Uh, I asked him once, I hope he doesn't wait. I was like, what's it like in your head? And he said, it's just a series of people waiting in lines. <laughs> this is the most adorable thing I've ever heard. Uh, and I just, I, so he's also, you know, he's anxious in different ways, but um, he doesn't worry, especially he doesn't worry about the show because he's I, he knows I'm going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is my job is to take care of it. So he doesn't worry about our show that way, but he worries about all kinds of other things, of course. Yeah. He's a worrier too. Right. Do you guys have good boundaries? pretty 
pretty good. We've had to develop them because we work together in so many different ways. And so we have a thing where we ask permission before we start talking about a work thing at home, like check in with a person. We don't talk about it in bed ever. Like, Does anyone ever say no? Yeah. And then it's like a joke. You're like, okay, is that really a no? Or is that like a fake funny no? And like, sometimes it's like, no, it's an actual no. I can't handle talking about this right now. Um, and it's been over time, like we used to argue about things professionally and then assume that that was somehow personal also. And then we've talked about in meetings how um, if someone, I think the expectation initially when we would go into meetings together was, well, you're supposed to agree with everything I say because we're married on both ends. Mm -hmm. And then slowly realizing, oh no, if we're working together, then that means we get to disagree in this room. And that doesn't mean anything about not supporting you as a wife or as a husband. Um, But if we have different ideas about stuff, we might have to kind of discuss it. And I think that was a blow. That was something for both of us to adjust to was like, oh, I'm not always going to agree with you in this room, even though if we were just a married couple in this room, I would be like, of course, my love, what, what a great idea. Oh, oh, Emily, what a great idea. But if we're in there as professionals, we're going to disagree sometimes. And uh, Jonah, who was the co-host of The Meltdown, he said he was worried at first that it was going to be the two of us would gang up on him. But for the most part, it's every man for himself. (laughs) And we don't we don't argue hardly at all. We, We tend to always be on the same page. But that gave me a sense of pride of like, oh, we're doing this right because he doesn't feel like the two of us are ganging up on him. Right. Um, as like a political force. So we've over time developed them. Yeah. Did, have you ever had a did you ever have a thought at the beginning like oh maybe we maybe we shouldn't work together for the sake of the relationship yes absolutely i was very i was very nervous about it we and we all of the things that we worked together on we kind of just fell into um and so it wasn't a sense of like let's really discuss this before we go into this venture it was just like well this seems to be working we enjoy each other um and it, i will say here on this podcast and forever if for a minute, I thought that it threatened my relationship. I would quit every single thing we were doing together, every single thing, because the relationship was more important than all of it. But we say that to each other a lot, to like just to keep the boundaries. Like we're doing this thing and it's fine, but if this ever comes between us, we're done. That's mm-hmm. like this thing that we're quitting. This thing we're not going to quit us. So I think having that in our forefront of our brains, like this is always the most important thing. And if we can keep working together, great. Um, that helped tremendously too. There's nothing that I feel like we can't walk away from as a couple and be okay. Um, but it's just constant conversations about that. Constant. Yeah. That makes sense though. Yeah. Um, in the book, you talk about the importance of getting quality sleep. Well, mm-hmm. I know something that could definitely help with that. Are you familiar with Casper mattresses? No, I'm not. Please tell me all about them. I will. Um, so Casper is this mattress company. Mattresses are made in America. There's two technologies. It's latex foam and memory foam uh, together in one mattress. They're super comfortable. And the thing with Casper is they're like revolutionizing the way that mattresses are sold. Because what they discovered is the way that we think you have to do it where you go to a store Test and you... Out, yeah. Yes. That actually there's not the, a correlation between whether you have eight good minutes in a store on a bed and you like the bed or not. Oh, yeah. Okay. Out that that is not that's not an effective way of doing it. And also in mattress stores, they are um, marked up so much. So Casper is just cutting out the middleman, and you buy them online, and they ship to you. And unfurling your Casper is pretty exciting. It comes in a box. They send you a special like box opening tool and you open it and then you just watch it expand. It expands. Awesome. It expands. Yeah. Cause they have to like really, I don't, I don't know. It's not, they don't remove the air, but I don't know exactly how they do it, but they get it into a pretty tight little shipping container. Okay. And then it just unfurls 
and uh, you'll sleep so well. And there's a risk-free trial and return policy. So if you try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days, um, there's free delivery, painless returns, and a special offer for my listeners. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash best friend and using the promo best friend. Terms and conditions may apply. So again, casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash best friend and using the promo best friend. And again, it is uh, 100 days you can try it and free delivery and painless returns. And I think you will love it. And if you do, write in and let me know. Okay. Is there, do they have a ghost? Is there, is there? They should. They really should. It should be that emoji. Oh, that'd be cute. Yeah, the ghost emoji. That would be I was thinking, cute. I never use the ghost emoji. Like, what is the opportunity for using that one? Does he have like a black eye or something too? Isn't I think it, aren't so. his eyes different size? It's, yeah, there's something going on eye wise. Weird. Yeah. So many emojis I don't use very often. <laughs> I feel like I really need to ex- to step up my emoji game. And just start using real random ones, like mm-hmm. the directional signs. Who cares? Yeah. Well, let's use those. Let's use those forever. The fishing pole. Yeah. Yeah. Who's using that? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Let's take some questions that people sent in on Twitter. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. I'm scared. I saw some of these. Some of them were great. And then some of them was like, oh, come on. <laughs> TSDCX says, is her Twitter handle pronounced with a hard G or a soft G? Great question. It's the Ginomite. So that's a hard G, right? <laughs> you know, I always thought that was hard, except that I think recently I learned that that is... That's the soft? I think I might have always had and it reversed. Gyna- it, seems like, it seems like G should be the soft, soft yeah. and J should be hard. Whichever I, one the Ginomite is. Right, is what okay. It is. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know. Because yeah. it could... It, it, Gyno might also work. It totally works. It just yeah. is less Jimmy Walker-like. Right. <laughs> TP says, how has she dealt with her growing notoriety? I mean, it's not growing that much. <laughs> uh, it's it's good. I will say uh, recently we were in Austin at a movie festival and my husband had to like so frequently in my life, my husband and I will be together. Someone will come up and hand me a phone and go, take a picture of us. <laughs> um, and someone came up to us and handed the phone very carelessly to Camille and said, take a picture of us. And I was like... <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's right. Take a picture of us, you little man, your husband. And uh, that felt great because I frequently am the one taking photos um, right. of Kumail with his fans. So that's is been it, really cool. With that, is it um, since Silicon Valley has it Most stepped of, up a lot? It's really fun to find out where people know him from because some people are still like Franklin and Bash all the way. And then <laughs> some people are Portlandia. Some people are Harmontown, which is a podcast he does regularly. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of varies. But for the most part, especially these days in Silicon Valley. Okay. Star Seeker Dragon says... Is there anything that's made you laugh so hard you started crying? I mean, everything. Uh, I will, if if there's like a funny video of a cat doing something stupid, I will, I will watch it. I will, sh- I will tap people and show it to strangers. <laughs> I will, there's one of a cat that's, uh, someone puts a toothbrush in its mouth. It's a very beautiful cat, blue eyes. And it's like kind of, it's like chewing on the toothbrush. And then for whatever reason, it just like, its brain goes away and it just like, I think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, I think the cat's name is Milk. If you want to look up Milk Toothbrush, 
That sounds weird. Maybe you don't Google that. That might be a sex thing. But uh, that I I laughed until I cried over that. Which does, sure. it, does his eyes get wide? It's just like, yeah, it just goes away inside. Like it's the weirdest. It just like goes from being an alive cat to being like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's so funny to me. Uh, so that made me laugh until I cried. Okay. Matthew Skikluna says, am I setting myself up for failure if I don't actually write anything down like she suggests in her book? That's a good question. I don't think so. I think you do it the way you want. I tend to be very visual. I like writing things down. I like to see things uh, more so than I like, you know, typing them out with my hands or just thinking them up. So for me, I needed to write things out to kind of, I need to see them quantified in front of me. So you may not, I say, give it a try. It doesn't feel like it's working for you. Don't, don't worry about it. But so you don't have to, but I would. Okay. As I was reading it, I was thinking I would probably I would be getting more out of this if I were actually writing it down. That's a thought. And that's something I think I'll find out as people are responding to it. I'll find out how how that'll bear out. We'll see. Doughboy75 says, do you go by Gordon because the signature is less of a pain in the ass? Oh, the Nanjiani? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We were just talking about that. I might I might change my name at some point. Um, But I do feel like I was I was married uh, before. This is my second marriage, and I changed my name in my first marriage. And changing it back was quite a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And it it's still and I no disrespect to him, but the fact that my graduate degree, my master's degree has uh, another name on it, kind of a little bit makes me feel strange. Uh, It's not. That's not who I am. And I kept my uh, my name Emily Gordon and just added his name. So my name was on there, but there was another name on there too. And that's just kind of weird for me. So I was like, I don't know if I'll do that again, just because I feel like there are no sons in my family. So we're the ones kind of keeping that name going. But I might eventually change it. My intention when I got married was I was going to change my name privately, but publicly still go by Alison mm-hmm. Rosen, just because I had the theme song and the website. You might as well. And, yeah. But then I never did it. Yeah, and I right? still think I still intend to. And I do sometimes too. When I'm like if I'm making a restaurant reservation, I'll use my married name, even though I, I, it's not legal. I mean, it's a lie at yeah. that point. <laughs> just saying whatever. Yeah. Allison Lampshade. It's just, that is what it is. Isn't that? No. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's the paperwork of it all. But then I yeah. think, or, but it's also the identity crisis of it all too. Although I've, now I'm adjusted to that. But I know at the beginning when we signed the marriage certificate and I, was like, should it be Allison Rosenquantz or Allison Michelle Quantz? I didn't mm-hmm. know. Then I was like, oh, my identity is having a problem right now. I'm yeah. like, fr- I'm f- freaking out inside. So maybe that is why I, w- I haven't done it. I didn't even like. I was so willing to do it the first time, and then uh, the second time, I was like, it wasn't even a crisis as much as like, it's just a real pain in the ass. And I was like, it, I said to Kamel, if it's important to you, I will like, we'll discuss it absolutely. But he was like. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's fine. It's whatever, whatever you want to do. So I might do it at some point, but I, it's not as much of a crisis, but the, the paperwork is a bigger issue. Also, it's a difficult name. Uh, yeah. And I watch him having to tell people how to pronounce his name all the time. And I'm like, shit, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Gordon, you can say that very easily, America. Right. <laughs> um, I know that when I had you on the podcast last time, we talked a little bit about your first marriage. Mm-hmm. And, it sound, and, and even the way you described it in the book, it sounds like it was all exceedingly amicable. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed by that because yeah. it seems like even with people who ultimately arrive at things being amicable, there's d- divorce has just got to be tough. I mean, it wasn't easy. There were certainly days that were very sad and very uh, stressful and days were like, why did I, what are we doing? What is happening? But um, I think that maybe was a sign that we weren't a, a wonderful match to begin with is that it was so easy for us and both of us were 
and I can't speak for him, but we were, it was just such an easy kind of thing and neither of us put up a fight and I want and a relationship. Did you grow apart? Uh, yeah, very much so. Very much so. We moved to a new city and I think when we realized we didn't have our support group of like friends and family and everyone and we realized like, oh, all these people had been keeping us going for a while. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think... I want a relationship I want to fight for that I don't want to lose without a huge knockdown drag out fight. And neither of us were really willing to put up too much of a fight. It seemed like, and uh, I let him read all the passages in the book that were uh, involving him and he, and he was totally fine with it. And so I was like, great, that's awesome. We talk maybe once or twice a year mm-hmm. um, and we'll recommend bands to each other every <laughs> once in a while, which is nice. We're on great terms. He's remarried. I'm remarried. Everybody's good. Um, but I think the fact that it is so amicable is part of the reason we aren't together anymore. Right. Yeah. How old were you when you got married? 23. And how old were you when you got divorced? 26, five or six, six, maybe. Did, did it rock you for a while? It, I de- like identity wise, I wasn't yeah. sure. I had been like, I thought everything was settled in that department. And I was like, I don't need to date anymore. Everything's taken care of. <laughs> so great. And I had moved to this new city and I, everybody was like, well, just come back home to North Carolina. It'll be it'll be great. You don't need to be out there anymore because I moved out there with him for... Was that Chicago? Yeah. I moved to Chicago with him for uh, him to go to school. And so uh, I was like, what the... Who am I? I'm just in this city by myself. Oh my God, we're all just on a rock hurtling through space. What are we doing? <laughs> and then I slowly was like, okay, I have a job. I have a few friends. I can make some more friends. Um, and then I went to a comedy show with one of those friends. And then I met who the man who would become my husband, which is great. And we, I knew him for like a little bit uh, before I, uh, obviously we started dating, but yeah, it was, it was kind of amazing. Like if I had not had that experience, I would not be where I am now in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did cause a bit of a crisis for me for a little bit. What was the job that you had when you were in Chicago? As a therapist, uh, I was working with uh, basically all people uh, who were suicidal. <laughs> uh, essentially, it was a very, very tough job. Yeah. You know, when you were, the last time I had you on, when you were recounting all the various therapeutic jobs you had, they all are sort of, they're DEFCON 1. <laughs> Every job I had was DEFCON 1. I mean, working with with schizophrenics, yeah. working with super troubled teenage boys. Yeah. It's like, teenage boys, that's not, a, Already, that's not an that's easy rough. age group. Yeah. 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 I think that was part of what burnt me out. Um, and I was just talking to someone about this today. In fact, like, if I'd started with maybe easier populations and worked into... Um, tougher populations and maybe I would have stuck around the field a bit longer but I was just uh, exhausted uh, it was just it was exhausting it was very exhausting but um, was there something in you that wanted to to deal with the the most extreme cases or how did it happen that that it's what that I was happened? drawn to I was okay. I was most interested in working in that type of kind of uh people that are had in chaos and having a lot of difficulties because the successes are so much sweeter and so much more beautiful. And it also gave me perspective of like, people are going through some shit. Uh, my problems are non-existent essentially. Uh, and I loved it. And I love the people I worked with and I loved, I got to meet so many interesting human beings and it was amazing. All those jobs were amazing experiences. Um, it was just a combination of the, the work itself and some health stuff I was going through that kind of made it that like, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. And once you start, stop feeling effective to clients is when you got to stop. Right. Oh, Brendan McCullough says, how did Bagel get her name? (laughs) My cat Bagel uh, was named by Kumail, completely Kumail. He came up with that name and I was like, that is a great name. Uh, I don't know where he got the name. He'd never had a pet before. 
and I've had pets my whole life. Uh-huh. So I was like, you can name this guy. Let's girl. She's a girl. Uh, I was like, go for it. This is all yours. And he was like, bagel. And I was like, great. <laughs> I had a hamster named bagel. Really? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I remember the reason I, I chose the name was because I thought people always name their animals things like muffin, but you don't hear bagel. <laughs> totally cool that's right <laughs> it is a very cool name and it's not she doesn't look like a bagel nothing about she's a gray cat nothing mm. about her is bagel like but it she's fits her pretty. perfectly thank you like i made her thank <laughs> you. no i say that about <laughs> about wendy too like as if she came oh, from you. my loins mm-hmm. uh let's see patrick bateman's no sorry mm, scary patrick bearman says <laughs> if you had to choose your favorite genre of gaming what would it be Ooh, that's a good question um going back to my organizational skills i would probably say resource management games that have like a fun war element uh and like a fighting element but you're only as good as you are your your battle is only as good as your resource management i would say those are my jams so like what's an example of a game like uh that? state of decay is one of those um and it's maybe one of my favorite games i also like oh now i'm thinking well the other games I like okay i'm gonna stick with that one though um and it's a game where you have to go and forge and collect resources to kind of make yourself strong so that when the zombies attack you can actually fight them off so there's a lot of fighting but you actually have to like you only can fight as well as you've been foraging and kind of planning and figuring out who's going to do what and not letting people die and again it scratches the organizational itch that i have even just hearing that i'm like that sounds like it would take a lot of time oh so much I'm, time. I'm just an impatient person <laughs> I've also been playing uh, Super Mario Maker, uh, which is where you make Mario levels. And that's very time consuming, but that's super fun too. That sounds fun. Which um, platform is that for? I have that one. You got to get this game. Super Mario Maker? Super Mario. And you can also play games that other levels that other people have made. Oh, that's cool. And that is the most fun. People are, I I can't approach anything these people are making, but I make some okay stuff. Okay. I'm going to check that one out. And this is our last one. I think there might be a bit of uh, erroneous info in this question. Uh-oh. Overthinking Media says, what was it like to be married in secret for six months because of Kumail's family? We were married in secret, but it was not because of his family. Yes. Uh, that was fun. That was actually great. Um, we got married and kept it from people for quite some time. And it really helped us kind of create our marriage in a way that felt like it belonged only to us. And I think um, when you're newlywed, people are like, oh, newlyweds, what's it like? Is your life over? Like people always want to have like dumb little jokes with you and that's fun and great. But nobody knew we were married. So nobody got to make those jokes. Nobody got to ask us weird questions or we didn't have like a ton of new like like uh, cook cookware coming into mm-hmm. our house. And nothing about our lives had changed except for the fact that we had made this decision together and done this thing, this legal thing together. And because of that, it kind of became our own little, it belonged to us way more than anybody else. And I highly recommend it. Yeah, it was really great. Um, The only part that was weird was when people were bugging us of like, when are you guys going to get married? And we would be like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Did you wear a ring? I didn't. Uh, I didn't even have, we were so poor. I couldn't, we couldn't afford an engagement ring. We did get one at some point and then I, the stone of it fell off into a subway trash can uh, and it was a very cheap ring. So it didn't really matter, but I got it out of that subway trash can. And then we were married for a while before we could afford wedding rings at all. So uh, we just didn't have them for quite some time, which was also kind of weird and nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of it being secret. Yeah. It was great. Uh, It was great. I highly recommend it. Let's do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? The Great One says... 
just me or everyone? And this is where people write in with things they think or do, and we and they wonder is it just them or is it everyone? And we say whether we do these things too. Okay. Okay. When I'm having a really good couple of days in a row, I tend to think something really bad is right around the corner. I don't do that, but I think it's everyone. Yeah. I'm for whatever reason my brain doesn't work that way specifically, but everyone I know their brains work that way. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I I have that a little bit. Um or it's I don't know that it's necessarily when it's a good couple of days, it's just when there's sort of a lull or downtime something that will pop into my head is maybe I'll get a phone call letting me know that a loved one has died. Like today, today, (laughs) I don't mean to laugh. Sorry. It's okay. No, it's just like, you know what it is? It's on like exceedingly ordinary days. Interesting. I'm like, Oh, this, this could be the day that everything changes. Oh wait, I do do that. When I get like, when my parents call at any point in time that I'll be like, and that was the phone call that changed everything. (laughs) Literally when I left the house today, I said to my cat, I'll be back in just a few sweetheart. And then I was like, but that, was a lie she wasn't <laughs> like i'll hear a dumb narration of like a, one of those like uh dateline shows right yeah yeah i guess i do do that yeah i don't it's just for entertainment i don't think i'm actually i'm pretty sure i'm gonna make it back mm-hmm. home but uh now i'm not sure that i am <laughs> oh see for me it's not entertainment for me it's it's like i don't want to be blindsided by life so i'm just i'm always be prepared like for trying every. to yeah even though i've I've been told that doesn't, it's not going to help. No, it when actually doesn't. Bad happens, <laughs> I don't think it does. You're just ruining your present. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm not in the moment. That's the name of a podcast. Ruining the present. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to do that one. Ray Morgan says, why is everything that tastes good bad for you? I think we are being betrayed by our own bodies. Ooh, that's I interesting. I wondered that before. Yeah. Fat tastes so good. Cheese mm-hmm. sugar. tastes so good. Sugar tastes so good. It's because we're still in our um, old world brains that needed that stuff to go for like days right. at a time. Contra gatherer brains. I don't know, man. I wish that's everyone. And my the, my parents are always they say like, well, when we were poor, we couldn't afford to eat really good food, and we looked great, and now we can afford it. And now we're not allowed to eat any of the really like amazing food. That, yeah. yeah, that's true. It's life, baby. There is that sort of that thought though that I think everyone's had at some point or other, which is. Well, if it was good for you, then you'd want to do it. Like, yeah, like too bad. That, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you do get to a point where you do want to exercise, but it's still exercise, hard. yes, but food never, right? And it is like uh, when you find those magical foods that are really healthy but also taste good to you. Oh man, that's a dream. That's a that's a dream and a half. What are they for you? Um, there's a there's a kelp noodle salad. Kelp noodles have been a big thing for me because they're mm-hmm. a lot like pasta, but they have nothing in them. There's a kelp noodle salad at a restaurant near me that I love. I eat that a lot. Fruit also. Fruit's like the best and it's good for you. Mm-hmm. Fruit. From one dirtbag says, just me or everyone never quote unquote set the table. Now, I'm going to assume he means literally never setting the table as yeah. opposed to the masturbation technique yeah. where you lay a napkin on your stomach. Let's assume. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, you know what? We, well, we're currently sitting at the table, mm-hmm. which is covered with microphones. Not set. Yeah, no. Um, it's set for podcasting. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, that this has become where we podcast is a sign of how much we never eat at the table. Oh, yeah. So, us either. Really? Yeah, we never eat at the we table. We just eat at the couch and we watch shows. <laughs> is that what you do? Yeah, okay. yeah. I think everybody does that. I think many people do. I don't I think, think we're supposed to do that. <laughs> no, do. I don't think so. I know. There was, like... There was 
there have been a couple times where we've been like, let's set the table and eat dinner. And mm. then it's always just like, okay, when can we go watch TV? Why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah. it's That's not very comfortable. Going out to restaurants is for. That's when we sit across from each other and <laughs> chat while we're eating as opposed to just watching television facing the same direction. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Amanda Walker says, just me or everyone, compulsively click save sometimes more than once after completing just about every other sentence when I'm copywriting. Oh, I don't do that, and I should. I don't because I mine automatically saves every so often. Yeah, I've definitely gotten screwed on that before, though. So I, I guess I probably should. Yeah, but I don't. That me? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I do. Uh oh, <laughs> maybe I do. Okay, Lazarus Long says, "Just me or everyone? Probably not applicable to you since you're a celebrity. Get weirded out when a stranger follows you on Twitter." Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, yeah. we're <laughs> it's mostly famous. Oh, my God. Here, mostly so, strangers. Right. It's kind of a every few moment occurrence <laughs> that a stranger follows me. I'd feel weird if a stranger didn't follow me. But I get that for the regular people, <laughs> it must be weird. Um, yeah, I feel my probably both both of us, our relationship with social media is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but I keep my Facebook pretty private. Do and you? So I don't, I kind of purged, unless I'd met you in person or know you like really well online, like I've worked with you, I kind of purged everybody on my Facebook. So I was like, that's where I'll just have the people I know. And uh, I still get requests all the time. And my best friend, the reason I did it is that my best friend in North Carolina was like, this person friended me on Facebook. Who is this person? And I was like, what do you, what that happened? Oh yeah, that doesn't happen all the time. Like why? Cause you don't have a podcast and you're not uh, obviously. Okay. Then that was like, well, maybe this should be a place that's just for people I know. Right. So I purged many people. How did that go? The purging? Good. Nobody, I don't think anybody even commented on it. If they did, I didn't see it. And then I, I made the whole thing like just kind of private. Like I was like, I mean, this will, I don't do anything interesting on Facebook anyway. Like mm. why not just have this be the place where I can check in on people I went to high school with? Like, right. so uh, it went fine. It just took a really long time. But for a while, it was my hobby while I was like watching TV to like just prune go through and prune the friends. <laughs> yeah. And be like, do I know you? Who do we have? No, I don't know who you are. Do I know you? Oh, shit. I went to high school. With that. Oh, yeah. And like just having that little conversation with myself every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It, I have a public Facebook page and then I have my personal Facebook page, but it's it's also set to public. It's I mean, very anyone confusing. Can view it. Yeah. But basically... Mm-hmm. All it does is create a situation in my life where there are certain people that still will comment on that one. And I'm like, if you actually want to know anything that's going on with me, you should just look at the public one. Yeah. Because there's nothing. All that's going on on the private one are posts Mm. about my podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas I actually do. There's other stuff happening on the public one. Yeah. I think I have it backwards okay blake bishop says follow people on twitter that i can't stand every tweet makes me angry but for some reason i still follow that has been something that i've started changing yes me too because if you get angry on twitter unless it's someone poking you that's mm-hmm. someone saying something shady that's different but if you get angry on twitter you have only yourself to blame yes. and i'm aware of that so lately if i get really enraged over a series of tweets or whatever then i'll just unfollow the person absolutely like, why am i still following them yeah hate following i think we gotta stop uh we've gotta stop hate following i think it uh these people who follow donald trump i don't need to know what he's up to i i i'll get it from whatever 
blog that has to write about him, whatever. Right. CNN being that blog. Uh, <laughs> it sucks. Uh, I don't see the point in it. And I don't see the point of adding like, it's almost like this weird self-sacrificial, like I'll get angry, but it's, I got to keep myself informed. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been people filled with hate who are terrible that have been around forever. We never needed to know their day-to-day thoughts. Why do we need to know them now? I don't need to keep up with some horrible racist guy. Right. Uh, I don't need to do that. Uh, right. I don't need to do that. So I unfollowed a lot of people because I was like, I don't need to. This is not how I want to spend my time, especially not on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I say unfollow, sir. But madam. even even stuff like this is I don't remember who this came up with. Someone who was on the podcast recently. Um, if there are certain people you're following and they're constantly talking about all the fabulous places they go mm-hmm. and the amazing life they're leading. And that's like the most uncomfortable sort of hate I find. The jealousy. Yeah. yeah, Because you're like, I shouldn't be so, this shouldn't affect me. And yet it does. So I just unfollow them too. Yeah. I mute some of them so that they don't have unfollowed. Oh, that's true. Yeah. When I say unfollow, I mute a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The best version of me isn't jealous when I see other people having like successful, lovely times or going on vacations that I can't go on. The best version of me, my superhero version does not do that. I do that. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Val Perkins says, just mirror everyone. Weirds me out when someone uses a hand drying towel to wipe their face. I believe in full laissez-faire toweling. Okay. I, I don't really adhere to uh, yeah, never the codes of towels. I do. I will say hand towels don't get washed as much as they should. I feel like they'll be kind of funky sometimes just because yeah. they're around for so long. So for that reason, I always sniff. If something smells weird, maybe don't put it on your face. That's smart. Do you ever just... Sometimes I'll just wipe my face on a body towel. Oh, yeah. I've definitely done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Even though... And I I hardly ever use washcloths. Yes. Uh, I don't either. I do think there's interesting cultural and ethnicity stuff about washcloths. This has come up. Yeah. My black fans Black people use washcloths. Yes. Yeah. And also sometimes other non-white people use washcloths in a way that white people just have not. Um, And I... When did we forgo the washcloth? And why? My husband white yeah. uses one interesting it's so interesting i love that stuff yeah. i just think it's so fascinating how did this happen yeah and so i remember being like well, i don't understand the towel bar in the shower and the first time <laughs> i ever said that i think i expected everyone to be like yes yeah <laughs> right. totally yeah but instead it was like it's for the washcloth you don't use the washcloth i'm like no i love that stuff do you like maybe at, i'm ashy at black birthday parties they sing a different version of the happy birthday song they see stevie, stevie wonder's version it's i not, didn't know that amazing right mm-hmm. it's black happy birthday song and i'm not saying everyone does it i'm just saying for the most part that is the song that is sung at black birthday parties and something i didn't know for years um and i know it now i love it i love that stuff so okay do you just put the soap on your hands and then wipe yourself with your hands? Because that's how I do it. There are people who are weirded out by that, though. No, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I've never said it out loud or heard someone say it out loud. It's, but it's yeah. weird when you say it out loud. Yeah. 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 That's what I... Well, I Some get people will, will real rub the soap bar on themselves. I don't do that. I, I don't do that, I guess. Yeah, I don't do that. And then I just... Although it's soap. I mean, this is getting to Mitch Hedberg joke territory now. Right. Like, when is the soap clean? How do you know? Yeah. Uh... I don't know. That's interesting. I do the same thing. I do hands more than I do the soap itself. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, how does Jeff shower? It's oddly embarrassing, isn't it? I don't know why. It shouldn't be. I, I'm i intermittent between soap on hands and washcloth. I do use a washcloth occasionally. What will be the circumstance of, for a washcloth? You know, it's it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I just... <laughs> it's, it's an extra funky day. <laughs> yeah. No, like it's... It, there's something it's kind of... 
it scratches an itch. It's very kind of exfoliating. Okay. So if I feel okay. kind of cruddy, like if I've been hiking or sweating a lot, then I feel like that that's very interesting. Helps exfoli- get it off more. Yeah, but it's it's not a conscious thing. It's just uh, one day I won't use the washcloth, and one day I will. Well, you're a man, a Renaissance man. <laughs> yeah, I like to mix it up. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Katie Shrum says, just mirror everyone, when my favorite stall is in use in the work restroom, I fight the urge to wait for its vacancy. I, don't, I haven't had a full-time job yes. in an office in a very long time. It's been a while. So I don't know. And I don't know that I've even had a favorite stall. I think I mix it up. I'm I mix pretty it up. much whichever. I'm not loyal. I am no. not loyal to bathrooms. My Sometimes when you're waiting in a long line and then you're up and the only one that's available is the handicap stall. I will be in there. And those are the kind of stalls where like you're seated, but the door handle is very far so away. So far, yeah. And I'll be like, I really hope someone else doesn't need this one. I know. Because I'm going to feel I wonder pretty bad too. when my able-bodied self slumps out of here and there's a person in a wheelchair who has been waiting. Yeah. That's never happened to me, but I every time I think that's going to happen to me. Yeah. And I try not to do it too often if I have a choice. I wonder about that too. Does the parking space handicap parking space rule apply to the handicap bathroom stall i don't think I don't, so I don't because think so, there's but... like a line of rabid women who will be upset yeah. if you opt not to use it yeah i think it's i don't know i don't know that's something to ask someone well i don't know who to ask and that's like there's no laws against it right. certainly but there's laws of decency and there's people right. do you know how horrible you would feel you making feel horrible yeah i also like I, I do if i if i'm in a long bathroom line and there's someone there's either a small child or like an older woman. I will always tell them to go in front of everybody else because I'm not making a child or an older lady. I'm not making them wait for a stall. And I've had ladies be mad at me for that. I don't I care. Bet, yeah. Cause don't they're care. like, well, you just let her cut it in front of all of us. Yeah. I spoke for the group in this one. We're all better people because of it. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> That's good assertiveness. <laughs> and finally, Fiso says, or FISO, I weigh myself before and after defecating to estimate the weight of turd I just let go, just me or everyone. Is this the second person that's asked this? It's come up more than once. Or gone down more than once. Yeah. Am I right? <clears throat> I think a lot of people do this. I don't personally do this. I've thought about it. I haven't done it yet. Yeah, me too. Maybe I'll do it when I go home. Uh, although, I would prefer to weigh myself after, so I guess in a way I do. I just don't do it before and after to try to estimate the... Yeah the weight of offloading i just poop on a scale cut out the middleman <laughs> well now that that's, is smart that's that the only way smart. you can get an accurate reading what was that movie 27 grams that's how much a soul weighs how oh, much yeah. does your shit weigh i forgot about that movie yeah was that a good movie or a bad i movie? don't know but the research it was based on is bullshit it turns out you mean they, the, wait the soul doesn't weigh 27 grams no, they 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 did a thing where there was like a body that was about to die or a person about to die on a, and they put them on a scale and then when they died they apparently lost that much but it turns out that was complete it wasn't like it was just like a bunch of poor readings and like bad like re- it was just bad research basically but like it was a lovely was story on the, on yeah the exactly thing. <laughs> what a lovely like oh we figured it out that's how much a uh, humanity weighs right god yeah. imagine if in the you know they're almost finished with the script and then they found out that it's not true right which is probably what happened <laughs> just keep going baby yeah. just keep going make it fiction it's fine right <laughs> Emily Gordon, it was so much fun having you on the yeah, show. Yeah, thank you for having me back. This was great. Thank you. You know, last time you were on, we talked a lot about tampons. Tamp talk. That's right. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. We came up with our segment, Tamp Talk. I was listening to some of that this morning. A lot of detail there. Yeah, we got into, I, I barely remember the detail, but 
I'm sure I blocked it out because my mom would have been embarrassed for me. Does your mom <laughs> listen to the podcast? She does. She used to listen to every podcast. I don't think she does anymore, but she does. Hi. Hello. Um, you guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you for your Amazon support. Thank you for your PayPal support. PayPal links on the right side of the website, alisonrosen.com. We have ringtones, singles, bonus episodes. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. You need that. And you also need this. And you can get those. Search Hey Go Fuck Yourself or Touch the Tushy from your iPhone in the iTunes store. No. Yes. I always mess this up. Yes. Search those ringtones in iTunes. I've got to streamline this. What is happening? Or hey, maybe you're not into iTunes. You can also get everything on gumroad.com slash Allison Rosen. That is G-U-M-R-O-A-D.com slash Allison Rosen, including the song that Greg Heller wrote for the Al Quiz. That's available for a pay what you wish price. Uh, two bonus episodes available. There's in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. We have t-shirts. You need a t-shirt. If you go to my website, AllisonRosen.com, there's a t-shirt you'll see on the right side. Just click that. It'll take you to where you can buy a t-shirt thank you so much for listening subscribe in itunes tell your friends follow me on twitter at allison rosen follow the show's twitter feed at ariymbf email us ariymbfshow at gmail.com jeff where should we go for you you can find me on social media at colonel jeff fox or check out my podcast barracuda radio and by the time you hear this i believe a new podcast that i'm working on should be out the Alanis Morissette podcast. Whoa. Very nice. Talking about uh, positive psychology, self-help, and Whoa. spirituality. It's very interesting. Can I do that podcast? <laughs> yeah, check it out. <laughs> That's amazing. That's it's, awesome. It's super interesting. I think okay, you love it. Cool. Excellent. Um, and Emily, tell everyone where they can go to find you and plug uh, all your things. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Gynamite, at the Gynamite. Thank you very much. T h e g y n o m i t e. Yes, I'm. Uh, I have a Tumblr where I answer relationship questions and other questions that people ask me. Called emilyvgordon.tumblr.com. You can find the first two seasons of The Meltdown with Joan and Camille on the Comedy Central website. And my book is called Super You, and it's available at most bookstores and at Amazon. And the only place you can get signed copies online, uh, if you don't know me, is at the Meltdown Comics uh, website. Excellent. Thank you so much again. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Yeah, Alison Rose.